Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. hell is going on out there it is an unusual week family but we're here to do our job to give you the best information to move on from a week that it was quite forgettable and hopefully have better process and better picks this week um lex had to had a bit of a family emergency he won't be here so it'll be mark and i up until about nine o'clock and then jm will be on uh, if you have questions, um, I think we're going to have time to take a few questions. If you want to do questions at me, at Todd from PA, send the questions uh, on Twitter. Um, I think that's the best way to do it. I didn't send out a thread today. So uh, we're going to deal with uh, some questions from you guys if we get any. And um we're going to deal with the, the changing landscape of life with um, the New England game now up in the air and off the main slate. We won't be talking about it uh, f- from that regard. Uh, we're going to stick to the plays that we have for the main slate on DraftKings. And with no further ado, I will bring in my co-host for the first hour every week, single entry guru, three entry guru, and the man who writes you a weekly leverage article, Mr. Mark Garcia, at Hilo FF. Mark, welcome back to the show. And I did it again. One of these weeks, I'll get it. Uh, he told me I'm unmuted now. What's going on, dude? Glad to be back. Let's shake hey. off last week, shall we? Uh, yeah, and you know what they say, if you shake it more than three times. Yeah, it'll go off. Something like that. Um, all right. <laughs> so let's um, let's start instead of quarterback like normal. Let's start with running back. I think the key to this week is running back. Uh, it's very tempting uh, on one hand to do team jam them in. Um, and, and, and get all the good running backs. I was actually planning on doing that until CEH got taken out, Mark. Uh, mm-hmm. So the first question, I guess, for a three-entry guy like you 
Is Alvin Kamara in all three lineups? Yes. Started the week, no, as evidenced by my article. Um, I, I planned this whole week as if MT would be playing. And then not only is he right, playing, right. Well, yeah, all I, the additional I, injuries. Yeah, I, I, so, and I, I did read the article, and I should have remembered to say that. Uh, obviously, you're allowed to change your mind when information changes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be 100% Kamara uh, on my three max teams for sure. Yeah. Right now, I'm seeing about 40% ownership on uh, ETR. Let me go over to our new and improved ownership section of our website. And I want to see where Mr. Kamara is showing. If uh, I don't know if we've gotten the update yet, but uh, right now I, I, they're showing 22%. I mean, there's no way. Um, I'm expecting mm-hmm. him. I, I wouldn't be shocked in single entry as you get more expensive, Mark, to see him in close to 50% of lineups. So if you want to have leverage with um, Mr. Kamara in larger field stuff or three entry, I think the answer is either three or two. I think you can, I think, I think it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world to do two Kamara lineups and one Latavius Murray lineup as leverage on a Kamara injury or something like that. What's, what's your thought process on leveraging in that way? Um, with both Jared Cook out and Michael Thomas out, I think Latavius has a much better floor than normal. I, I don't know that he kills you if um, Kamara plays the whole game, uh, but if something happens to Kamara, the, it, it, there's just, there would just be an immense amount of leverage in having Latavius Murray. Yeah, so um, that's definitely something that I would look for if you are MMEing this week. Um, but for three max, it still feels fairly thin. Um, there are some goods for Latavius in that uh, I'd expect his touches to really jump up into the 15 to 18 range. Um, and that's up from, you know, 12, I think is his high so far this year. Um, but so he should be in a, a few, actually he saw 15 carries in week one with one target. The problem with, with Murray is he's going to have to be, extremely efficient with those touches and he's going to have to score once or twice to give you a GPP ceiling, a GPP worthy ceiling this week, just because there are so many, you know, high scoring games on the slate and we're really going to have to shoot for, for ceiling this week. Um, I just think it, it's going to take probably two fifteen, two twenty to take down these single entry tournaments. Uh, so I like it for MME, you know, sprinkling in some Murray just in case, you know, he sees 18 rushes. But the biggest problem for me with Latmer is the targets. He's only seen four on the year, and that just crushes his floor. Uh, so especially for, you know, for talking three max, I really want that mix of floor and ceiling, and he just doesn't really do it for me this week. Yeah, I, I think that the key is that it, the, the the scenario that you're playing for, if you're doing it in a three entry, um, and I wouldn't do it in an expensive three entry, but let's say I was in a ten, the twelve dollar, maybe the twenty seven dollar by doing it in, uh, or the thirty three dollar, uh, you know, the advantage of doing it in that is 
you, you you're praying for a Camara injury, and if you get it, you've got just a way more leverage than you lose. Um, but it is it's it's thin. Um, so I, I I and I'm not playing a lot of three entry this week. So um, I think you and I are in agreement that you have to be over on Camara. It's just too good of a spot. Um, he would have to be 60 or 70% owned before I would consider an under position. And I don't think it'll get that high at $8,000 and with um, Zeke and Cook uh, up in that price range. But I do think it's going to be higher than what's projected right now. Let's move. Uh, what, what's, your, what's your gut instinct on where ownership's going to be? I know you don't spend a ton of time on that. Yeah, I think in the uh, probably in the lower dollar single entry in three max, he's probably going to be sub thirty percent. But again, the high dollar stuff, uh, he's probably going to be approaching forty to fifty percent. Um, the it's really hard to get in two of Kamara, Zeke, and Dalvin this week. Uh, so that's your leverage play if you want to be overweight on Kamara, but different, uh, you know, different roster construction than everybody else is to play two of those three guys together. Um, and that's immediately going to set your roster apart. Uh, and I say that with the caveat of only do that if you've identified uh, upside value at other places. Uh, I'm sorry. I missed the play who? Play two of Kamara, Zeke, and Cook. Uh, so, you know, play two of those high-priced running backs because it's extremely hard to do this week. That's what I'm um, doing. Yeah, That's so what if I'm you doing. do that, you're you're probably going to be pretty differentiated uh, from the bat uh, because a lot of lineups are going to be choosing which one of those three to play. Yeah, uh, right now Cook is my number two, and then the third decision is between Mike Davis and Henderson. Um, mm-hmm. I played around with a. If you really want to be different, there is ways to because I did it, and I'll probably have at least a couple lineups with all three of them. You can do it this week and not completely crater your floor. You've got Troutman at tight end. You have to punt defense to do it. But to me, mm-hmm. once you get under $3,000, almost every defense is a punt. So, my, you know, going down to $2,000 or 2100 is is not bad. Um, if, you, if you do that, you can, uh, you can definitely get there and have a pretty good rest of the team because I've done it. Um, all right, so the next question for me, Mark, is that Mike Davis is going to have a lot of ownership also coming off a very good week uh, with a great floor with um, receptions. Uh, one, two, or three lineups for you with Mike Davis or zero? Uh, as of right now, he is in two of three. And a way that I'm, again, again, I think the, the chalk build is likely going to be Kamara or one of those top three that we uh, talked about earlier, paired with one of the second tier. You know, Kenyon Drake, people are going to go to Joe Mixon. People are going to go to Singletary. Um, and then you have Henderson and Mike Davis. So, a way to differentiate yourself. Uh, oh, so you think there to, will be a lot of lineups with Kamara and Cook? No, no. I think oh. the, the main – what they're probably going to – the chalk build this week is probably going to be one of Kamara, Cook, 
or Zeke paired with one of that second tier of Drake, Singletary, Mixon, Henderson, Davis. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, a way to differentiate off of that, I think, is to either play two of the high-priced guys or play two of those middle-tier guys. Um, and on two of my three three-max lineups this week, I'm looking at Kamara paired with two of those middle-range guys. Um, I don't like Drake. Talked about him earlier. I don't like Singletary. I don't like Mixon. So uh, use your uh, <laughs> intuition. I'm on Henderson and Davis together. Yeah, right now Henderson is showing half the ownership of Davis, and I don't think that Davis is enough of a better play to eat that extra ownership when you've already got another chalky running back in Kamara. So right now Henderson is in my lineup. Yeah, so I I preach about range of outcomes, right, a floor and a ceiling. Um, And if you – Think about it. With the target expectation that we expect from Mike Davis, his floor is much higher than Henderson. But I would argue that Henderson's ceiling is on the higher side uh, when compared to Mike Davis. Um, just I, I kind of broke down the matchup in the article. I expect his snap rate to jump a little bit. You know, he outtouched Brown 21 to seven last week, and they split snaps evenly. Uh, you know, Brown ran more routes, but Henderson still had a few targets. Um, so I, I like Henderson's feeling if he punches a couple of touchdowns in, which I think is entirely possible. Yeah, Jam talked a lot about that in the edge. He also talked about it in the grid, I think it was. Um, I definitely agree with, uh, with that sentiment. So um, who else at running back is in some of your lineups? I'm down to four. My, my running back uh, player pool for three max is just Kamara, Cook, um, Mike Davis and Henderson. Kamara Cook, Mike Davis. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and those are the four that I've really been uh, deciding on. And um, I'll also have a couple lineups with Cook and Thielen. Um, Watson's going to be chalky, but I don't think you're going to have a ton of lineups with both of them coming back. Um, and then you can pick one or two of the Houston wide receivers. Um, there, there are other decent running backs, um, to choose from, but, um, I'm, uh, you know, and other shows of, you know, I'm definitely not on Ronald Jones. The, the, the chargers are not an easy team to run on. Drake just hasn't been in the passing game enough. Uh, I do like, uh, you know, I like Nick Chubb when I thought that Hunt would be out. I, I don't mm-hmm. like him as much in a in an up tempo game, um, and I think people, miss, you know, typically when you have a slow tempo team and a fast tempo team, you end up somewhere in the middle, and so they'll be playing a little faster the the Browns, but um, I you know I love Chubb, but uh, not this week. Uh, I I re- it's really tight for me as well, Mark. Are, is there anyone else we're missing at the running back position? James Robinson at 6,500 is actually a place where I started the week. Um, and I just came off just because the savings uh, down to Henderson and Davis. But at 6,500, he's priced up from where he was, you know, even two weeks ago. But that's still a, a solid price for his expected range of outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll cover that team in a little bit. I, I had a moment of clarity. And then I said to myself, 
you know, I, I've just gotten into this thing of being a little too cute. And it's bit me more than it's helped me. So I'm trying not to be, especially on my main team, not be too cute. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's important to, to find your, to find your things. I think Josh Jacobs is an interesting play this week. Uh, I think that, uh, that he, he projects well on both of the sites that I use. And I think that his ownership is going to be pretty low. And I think that Miles Gaskin is actually, if you're playing, if you're expanding out and doing more MME, you know, I think that Miles Gaskin has enough of a, of a pass game floor that, and a, and a lower ownership. So that gives you like another option on how to play a, a game that's going to be pretty chalky. And, yeah. uh, I think he yeah, I mean, interest. Go ahead. I was going to mention him uh, when we were talking about Latmer because he's only a hundred dollars more, and Miles Gaskin is averaging a little over five targets a game. So that's definitely uh, a higher floor than what I would be looking for for single entry and three max. Yep. All right. So let's move back to the quarterback position, and DraftKings raised the salaries this week. And I know there's enough salary to go around this week, but in comparison to what we've had the first three weeks, it, it is definitely a tighter week. Um, Mark, I, I think that, you know, Wilson is going to have a high ownership. And I, I, I just think that there's a much better chance that this game is a blowout than any of the other games that Seattle has had. And if they're winning by two or three scores, I, I don't see them letting Russ continue to cook. So that, that's, a, that, that's what's scary for me about Wilson, along with the ownership. Uh, what are your thoughts on Russ this week? Yeah, I agree. I mean, 7,800 is approaching 8,000, which is insane for a quarterback. Uh, yeah, scoring is up in the NFL this year, but it, it, like, and he's averaging 36 fantasy points, DraftKings points per game which is absolutely absurd. But yeah, like you said, the only scenario in which Russ will be allowed to cook, and he's still, he's only averaging 32 pass attempts per game this season, which is uh, similar to his numbers last year. So Russ cooking is literally, from a statistical standpoint, is simply Seattle passing more on first down, which now they're second in in the NFL behind Kansas City. Uh, but their overall philosophy has not changed. So that uh, is going to trap some people with lineup roster construction here in the next couple of weeks as Seattle's uh, schedule kind of softens up a little bit. But, yeah, the only way for Russ to cook in this game is if Miami forces them to. So if you want a quarterback from this game, I would just, you know, take the 2400 in savings and just go down to Fitzpatrick because – um, the only way Russ is hitting a ceiling is if Fitzpatrick is hitting a ceiling. The other chalky quarterback, the most chalky quarterback, it would seem, is elementary, Deshaun Watson. Um, what are your thoughts on Mr. Watson this week, and did he make any of your lineups? Uh, I think he is a good play. Um, the matchup is pristine. We know that that Minnesota-Houston game is very polarizing in the sense that we know how Houston is likely to attack and we know how Minnesota is likely to attack. 
and it just so happens to line up with the deficiencies of the opposing defense. So um, I like Watson a good amount at 6,600. Um, that price is pretty fair for his range of outcomes. I like Burrow at 6,300. Um, just again, for what Cincinnati is trying to do matches up with Jacksonville's deficiencies, um, particularly against 11 personnel. Um, and, and then I like uh, Stafford. And for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on Ryan Fitzpatrick right now. You already mentioned him. I just mm-hmm. think that, you know, at 5,400, you mentioned the savings. The uh, You know, Fitz has it obviously in him to just have a horrendous game. But they, you know, fit, uh, unlike Russ, Fitz's scoring isn't going to be affected that much by them getting blown out. And what I mean by that is how many times have we seen Miami or whatever team Fitz is on go down three or four scores, the other team starts running the ball, and then Fitz is, you know, t- tosses them back into the game in the third or fourth quarter. There's a very good chance. So I'm less worried about a blowout with Fitz because I think he can still get his uh, – I still think he can get to 20 points or more in a, 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 in, a, in a game where they're down three scores at some point. Yeah, 100% agree. And so who are the three people in your lineups? Uh, right now I have two Fitz and one Stafford. And now it's time for me to throw out my wild one that I, you know, was playing around with a little bit. And then I reread the edge and I jumped off it. It's Gardner Minshew. I think they do want to run, but you know, Minshew is going to have almost no ownership this week at 5,900. Uh, he's at, the same price as Stafford, who I do think will get some ownership, and Joe Burrow, who I do think will get some ownership. And I think that, you know, Cincinnati, even though it's not the most likely way the game plays out, I think that um, Minshew is an interesting GPP guy for me this week. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. He wouldn't make my list, but I don't hate it. Uh, who would be on your list, therefore, oh, Sir, <laughs> well, the guys I already named uh, on the high side for quarterback, I wouldn't pay any more than Watson at 6,600. Um, and then I like the other quarterback in the game. Uh, you mentioned I like Burrow at 63, and I like Stafford at 59, and then down at Fitzmagic at 54. Yeah, if I'm going up, you know, Josh Allen's going to have some ownership. But I think that Josh Allen is, you know, leaving Las Vegas, I think that, um, you know, that, that's a team that you can score on. So that, that's an interesting one to me. I'm more interested in Kyler Murray than I was last week. And I, I, I don't know if I'm a Kyler Murray, Murray whisperer or not, but uh, if he was back around 6,600, I might have tried to find a way to get to him against the bad Panthers team. And if, um, and if Hopkins is out, I still think that uh, Kyler has that great running ability. So, uh, but I'm not really going to play a lot of him Uh, going down a little bit. I think that uh, you covered it pretty good. 
And I, I think a really sneaky small percentage to own might be uh, Jones of the Giants. Um, that, that they've got enough weapons there, uh, but I, I don't think that that's a great play either. Um, I really, you know, I really don't like quarterback that much other than Fitz this week because, um, you know, I just think that his savings and chance to to actually do something is is pretty strong. Yep, not going to fight that one bit. He's in two out of my three. I do like Joe Burrow. I think that Joe Burrow is a a very interesting guy, and I do like Watson. Um, all right, so that is the uh, quarterback position. We're kind of going through this fast, and with Lex not here, Mark, we might have the opposite problem of what we normally have, which is talking too much. <laughs> Uh-oh, that's a green light for me to talk more. Oh, gosh, what did I just do? <laughs> um, let, let, let's dig through. I do want to, since we do have a little more time, uh, what are your thoughts on Dak? That game uh, is kind of, just with all the good game scenarios that we have, that game is kind of lumped into those good game scenarios. But to me, there's not, or there's more unknowns with how that game can unfold with respect to game script. Um, We could see, you know, Dallas hasn't jumped out to a lead this year, so we don't know how they're going to react if that happens. And I think against Cleveland is an opportunity where they could jump out to a lead and not be forced to run their offense at four seconds faster uh, between plays than any other offense and and all the other metrics that come along with that. So that's kind of what is scaring me away from that a little bit. Um, And the price is, uh, what is he priced at? 72. Yeah, it's pretty steep. So that's my my thinkings on Dak. I think I, I wouldn't argue with somebody if they wanted to play that, but if you're paying 72 for Dak, I would almost rather just come down to 6600 for Watson. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. So uh, that brings up the question of uh, you know the, the I think it's a pretty obvious question, but what is your favorite games on the week? My favorite games. My favorite game is Minnesota and Houston um, just because it's so evident how, or we can confidently project, I'll say, how each team is going to attack. And that almost precisely lines up with the deficiencies of the opposing defense. So um, I really like that game a lot. Um, And then I think the New Orleans-Detroit game is a game that outside of Kamara, not many people are really talking about or on. And with the injuries to New Orleans on the offensive side of the ball, obviously is going to funnel things a little bit for us. Um, And then they also have two defensive injuries in the secondary uh, with Lattimore and, oh man, I forgot the other name who's out, but uh, another starter in the secondary will be missing this week as well. So, both Galladay and Marvin Jones are super interesting uh, out of that game from a likeliest scenario game, how that game's going to go. Um, I'm not as high on Arizona and Carolina as I think the masses are this week, um, just because I think with Arizona, 
the way that they run their offense is basically obviously attacking the short area of the field and Carolina can't get their defense off the field. So if Arizona is just marching the field with short passes and Carolina can't stop those, Arizona's time of possession is going to go up pretty significantly and Carolina's pace of play kind of fell off a cliff this year. You know, they were top of the league last year. Now they're down in the bottom five, I think. Uh, I'd have to look that up again. Uh, But, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at this week. And then, obviously, with Seattle and Miami, um, I think there's – I would say there's more chance for that game scenario and script to fail uh, when you look at public perception. So, like you said, with the quarterbacks, you know, there's opportunity for Seattle to take their foot off the gas. If they jump out to a lead, there's opportunity to Miami to just fall flat because they're just not – they don't have a lot of talent on the offense. So, um, that game would be my pick for most likely to underperform. Yeah, and, and I I got to say that um... – I'm pretty interested in you talked about all right, so let's go over to wide receiver. And I feel like I like Galladay too. I think Galladay is, is is he's in my team right now. Um but I think that if you're if you're playing that um game and you believe in that game then you you need to also play some uh, Marvin Jones. You know, Marvin mm-hmm. Jones is that guy who, you know, he hasn't looked like anything, and that's exactly when Marvin Jones gets one of his three touchdown games. So I think Galladay's going to get the ownership, but in other builds, I think Marvin Jones is a real interesting GPP play, uh, Mark. Yeah, I've actually so because I like that game so much, I have a piece of the Lions on every lineup, and I've got two Galladay and one Marvin Jones in my three max. I love it. I love it. All right, so um, my second wide receiver in my team is Amari Cooper, and my thoughts on that is he's going to be chalky, but not as chalky I think as the Seattle guys. And he just hasn't gotten a touchdown this year. But his targets, 12, 9, and 14, are solid as heck. Um, not, his price at 6,700, I, I think, is too low. Uh, would you agree on uh, on Mr. Cooper? It's probably about 500, maybe too low. Uh, so there's a little bit of added floor there. Um the most interesting thing for me is kind of where he's been operating with his route tree, which is primarily intermediate. Um, and I think they just designed this offense to have Gallup be the guy that's going to be running the, you know, long routes, uh, Amari working primarily intermediate and then CD working primarily short. Uh, and so it really, he's going to have to have a broken play or a super, super high, uh, target count to, to hit the bonus, which I, he's probably going to need. Um, and, you know, I guess one good thing though, is he's playing at home, which he always performs better uh, at home than on the road. Uh, so I don't so, hate it. He's probably a little underpriced. 
Who's who? What wide receivers are you in, are, are in your lineups then besides Galladay and Jones? Uh, Will Fuller is super intriguing to me. I think both Galladay and Fuller sub six K are probably more underpriced than Amari Cooper uh, with respect to their likeliest range of outcomes in this particular game. Um, and then I do like Devontae Parker uh, at 57. I'll be playing primarily – actually, I'm pairing what, him what with that? Parker. Oh, yeah. Devontae Parker. Mm-hmm. I'll be pairing him on one lineup. And then one of my off-the-wall plays uh, salary savers this week is Isaiah Ford down at 3700 uh, for Miami. He is, plays almost exclusively the slot. I think he has, you know, like 110. Oh, man, I wish Lex were on so I could ask him. But Lex dug up these stats for me. Uh, he's got like 110 snaps out of the slot and only like five lined up out wide. So his usage is going to depend on that game script because Miami's 11 personnel usage jumps from 53% when the score is within seven up to, I think, 62% when they're trailing by more than that. So um, with uh, that game script for this week, probably the closest comparable was uh, Miami's game against Buffalo and Isaiah Ford went seven for 76 on nine targets uh, in that game. Uh, so he's uh, one, of the, one of my cost savers that I'll be pairing on my other uh, fifth lineup. Okay. Um, I, I get that. I, I think that that's uh, definitely, uh, you know, uh, as JM talked about in the Angles pod, you don't always need a ceiling out of everyone on your team if a low price guy allows you to get there, I tend, you know, uh, for me, I'm doing that at a different position. Um, but I, I do get the leverage. So my third wide receiver on my main team is Devonte Parker. And I'm, I'm a notorious non Devonte Parker guy, um, historically, but you know, I've got fits. It's always nice to, you know, have a stack. Um, I think I would rather all things being equal, have Gesicki in my lineup, but I think Parker is the better value. And I think that, you know, I'm a big Preston Williams guy, but when they get near the goal line, a lot of times they go one uh, wide receiver and that wide receiver is Parker. So, um, those are my three wide receivers. I mentioned Thielen. I mentioned I like Will Fuller. I always like Will Fuller. Um, haven't seen the the super game breaking side of him yet. That real explosiveness, but I do like him. Um, other guys that I played around with, like when I wanted to go lower priced, I was. Um, I think T Higgins is really interesting. And I think A.J. Green is interesting for some action. If you like Joe Burrow, um, I think that A.J. Green, you know, he it it looked like they, the, all the targets dried up for him. But, that you know, we don't know that that wasn't just a one-week thing. Uh, the chalk at wide receiver is D.J. Moore. He was in my original lineup. And then what I was going to do, Mark, was I was going to go Robbie Anderson. 
because I don't, you know, there's uh, Anderson has uh, one fourth the ownership projection of DJ Moore, but I found the dollars to get up to uh, Parker. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about the chalk of DJ Moore and what your thought about pivoting off him with Robbie Anderson is. Yeah, so the Carolina offense and when looking at the matchup with Arizona, what Arizona is going to try to do to that offense is force a short field. So they're going to try and keep Carolina throwing short. That's kind of why I like Mike Davis uh, out of that game. It, you know, he the two games that he's seen, seen action, he has 17 targets. Uh, so another – Six to eight is probably his likeliest scenario with a little bit room to grow from there, actually. Um, And I don't think the public has caught up to how DJ Moore is being utilized in this new offense in that last year he was a short to intermediate, you know, MT light kind of piece. And this year they're actually, even with, um, with Robbie on the team, they're using DJ Moore in the deep areas of the field a lot more. Um, and, you know, Robbie Anderson has a lower A dot than DJ Moore this year, which is insane, right? You know, I was just going to say that's set. insane. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. But that is the reality of this offense. And so that has, that is a change that I don't think a lot of people have caught on to yet. Um, and they're still kind of latching on to DJ Moore of 2019. And Arizona, is, like we talked about, is going to look to shorten the field, and they're really, really strong against the deep pass, and that's primarily where DJ Moore is working. So in an MME, I would look to be underweight for single entry and three max. I probably would classify DJ Moore as bad chalk. It's hard to do on a 5,600 wide receiver, um, but just with the usage and the matchup, uh, I think it's a good week to be off of him. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, What are your thoughts on T. Higgins? I like T. Higgins. If I were going to run a Burrow lineup, it would probably be paired with either Boyd or Higgins. Um, Boyd is at 6,100. Where's T. at? Down at 45. Okay, so that's pretty good savings. Um, The issue is it's kind of a blessing and a curse in that they were scheming T Higgins short area looks, you know, he scored two short touchdowns last week. Um, But again, they're scheming T Higgins short area looks. So I think that's that offense is kind of still struggling to find their identity. The other guy who almost made my main build, in fact, uh, if I had another hundred dollars, I might take him even with that. Well, no, I wouldn't miss. But o- Odell Beckham, I like this week. I think in an up, yep. you know, in a game where they might be behind and have to throw more, he does have a twenty-five percent target share. And I think you know we haven't seen that explosive upside that we used to out of Odell Beckham. But um, I don't think the ownership's going to be too crazy, and I think he's a pretty good play. Yeah, he's actually the third wide receiver in my main build. So my main, my single entry build is Galladay, Fuller, and Beckham. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I'm going to still play around with my team. I've got Cooper, Galladay, and Parker right now. Um, it'll be, you know, if 
if I could, uh, what I'd like to do, ooh, I see what I can do. Don't you love when I do this in the middle of the show? Yeah, I do. It warms my heart, man. Um, all right. So if I take uh, Mike Davis in for Henderson and I take Cooper down to Beckham, it allows me to go back up from Troutman to Logan Thomas. There you go. That's a floor boosting play, I would say. Yeah, I had to think about that. I'll assign it to a lineup, but not my main lineup for now. Screenshot and then I can it. go back and kick on it. What's that? I said screenshot it. No, what I do is I, I take my 20 play actions, and I think I've got 15 slants this week. And I, I put them in with my main team. And then as I build, I like if I come up with something I like, I pop a couple of those lineups into a, a new team. And that's kind of how I do it. Uh, let's see. Anyone else at wide receiver we should talk about, Mark? Let's see. Let me move over. We got to talk about Lockett and Metcalf. Mm-hmm. Uh, just purely playing <laughs> off of what happened last week, I would look to DK. Uh, Miami struggling with the deep ball. Um, he's probably not going to see the volume that Lockett sees, but you know, uh, any player coming off a three touchdown game, it's better to leverage off that as it's such an outlier. I think Stefan Diggs is an interesting play. And I think the Rams wide receivers, you could do worse than, uh, than making a Ram stack. Yeah, I actually, I started the week all over digs. Um, and that was when John Brown was missing practice. Uh, but I think the 6,800 is a pretty steep price to pay uh, with how I think Buffalo is going to attack this game. Again, I was wrong last week with that. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, Cause they're just pass, pass, pass lately. Apparently. Yep. So uh, let's move over to the tight end position. And I, I know there are some nice places to, to, to pay up, but I, I love Logan Thomas this week. Uh, Baltimore, it, you know, I think Baltimore is going to scare off some Logan Thomas ownership. And I think that um, I, I won't say I love him, but I love playing guys who failed everyone the week before but the, the the basics of why you like them are still in place, and I think Logan Thomas is is, is it falls into that spot. Um, you know, in general, um, well, first of all, who who are your tight ends this week? Yeah, with Logan Thomas, it's again, I, I think we've, I think I especially, particularly, I guess, have mentioned Logan Thomas every week. Uh, he is like second in the NFL in routes run for a tight end. Uh, and now for this week, you add in Steven Sims is out and Terry McLaurin was, uh, is questionable after apparently hurting his thigh or something like that uh, in Wednesday's practice. Cause he limited practice Thursday and then uh, did not practice Friday, uh, which is not a trend you want to see coming to a game. Um he could end up playing, but that could just slow him down. So you talk about like a, the perfect 
environment for a tight end to, you know, for us to want to play him. They're expected to get blown out, run off the streets. They're extremely aggressive still on offense. And now there you get the uh, concentration of targets with, you know, the two other top wideouts uh, either out or going to be hobbled. Gotcha. Uh, how many lineups is he in with you? He's in two out of three, and the other one I'll be running Waller. Again, uh, the top three wideouts in Las Vegas are out. Uh, Ruggs and Edwards are going to miss. And then, obviously, um, oh, Christ, I forgot his name. Whatever the dude was, who was put on IR, right? Dude who was put on IR right before the season. I forgot his name. Anyway, for, for, he hasn't played. For the Raiders? Yeah, right? forgot about him. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I just totally drawn a blank. But, yeah, anyway, um, Buffalo's linebackers being back uh, and where Waller is being used on the field gives me a little bit of pause at 5,200. Um, but I think the volume, you know, he's already had a game where he saw, what, 16 targets? Yeah, 16 targets against New Orleans. Um, so I, I would place his likeliest – range of outcomes for targets in the 8 to 10 range uh, with clear ceiling for higher uh, should Vegas fall behind early. Gotcha. Um, any other tight ends that you like a lot? Again, you mentioned him earlier, but Troutman down at 25, the bare minimum uh, for a tight end is at least interesting. Um, it's hard for me to go there being a single entry and three max guy uh, and him being a rookie thrust into action. Uh, it's just kind of always hard for me to trust rookie tight ends. Um, but that's at least interesting. And then 5,100 Mike Gusecki uh, leverage off of Waller is not a bad play. Yep. Two other names I'll throw out there are uh, Hunter Henry. Uh, at, he's down to 4,600. It's, a, you know, uh, it's, it's harder to run against Tampa than it is to throw against them historically. And I think that um, I, I think at 4,600, he's a real talented guy. I think TJ Hawkinson at 4,800 is interesting. And of course, Mark Andrews at uh, 6,000, if you want to pay up. Yeah. Hunter Henry, you're, it's basically a given floor. And his price has come down from where he started the season at 5,300. Now he's at 4,600. And he's seen exactly seven or eight targets in every game. So that's pretty uh, bankable floor from the tight end position. Yep. And, you know, it's ugly, but um, down at 3,600 is Rob Gronkowski, who got more targets last week. If you want to go with the theory that, you know, Gronk hadn't played in a year and working his way back. I mean, if you want to just think of him as a, as a guy who's just going to block going forward but you know if if, if like Samson he uh, his hair grows back one last time Gronk at 3600 can win you a lot of money yeah actually I hadn't considered him it's I don't hate it looking real quick uh, coach speak from Arian I, think he, got, says I that, think he got seven targets last week let me look yeah, seven targets. He played 92% of the snaps, up from 77 and 69% the first two weeks. So um, that's at least encouraging and kind of plays into uh, what you were talking about with, you know, he sat out 
NFL football games for a year, and he's getting back into shape. So, yeah, yeah. How is uh, how is uh, the Chargers against tight end? The Chargers are just tough to pass on on all positions, just because they keep seven men in coverage almost every snap. You know, they blitz at a very low rate, and they're still getting pressure on the quarterback with that talented defensive line. Uh, so the middle of the field is more congested against the Chargers uh, as compared to another team. But still, if the volume and the snap rate is there, I don't hate it at 36. All right. Uh, let's move over to defense. And to me, defense is really ugly this week. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm considering punting with the Dolphins and just hoping for some luck. Or the Browns at 2300, who I got from JM. Um, you know, it, to get the guys that I want this week, I just can't pay up at D. I know JM talked about it, but um, uh, the other one that I think, you know, if you want, you know, it's a, it, I think the Chargers, if you want to bet on talent, and Tom Brady has shown <laughs> the ability to throw some pick sixes late in his career. I, I don't hate the Chargers at 2900. Uh, who are your defenses this week? My number one defense is the Ravens all the way up top at 4K. Uh, I'll probably have one of three with them. Uh, a very close second, maybe even a 1B, is the Buccaneers at 3,400 uh, with the Chargers missing their two top offensive linemen, including their Pro Bowl center for this week. Uh, Tampa Bay is blitzing at a very uh, heavy rate, and they're – uh, they've got a rookie quarterback on the other side. Uh, so I don't uh, – or I, I actually – I really like the Buccaneers there. You know, last two games they've got 11 sacks against Carolina and Denver. Uh, so I think the floor is really, really nice at that price. I think they're underpriced uh, probably about 500 Yeah, yeah. It's uh... – it's a uh, it's a tougher tougher thing than uh, what I thought uh, to pick defenses this week. So let's look for some questions. See if we got any. Um, all all things pigskin. Ask. Can you talk about your favorite game stacks with the extra time? I think we kind of did, Mark. Yeah, I think so. And then um, I do think that I got a. Another question. Hold on. Do you look at FanDuel at all? I don't. Uh, and that stems – you're actually the second person to ask me that today. Uh, <laughs> that stems from FanDuel I, I might have sent the being... first guy to you. <laughs> FanDuel pricing for the over the last three years was so soft compared to DraftKings, and I felt the edge was higher for me playing on the site with the tighter pricing, uh, making it harder to build lineups. Uh, so I've been playing DraftKings uh, almost exclusively. Got it. So uh, any any thoughts on uh, life and uh, COVID and the, and the whole thing? No, man, just uh, doing the same old, same old. My yard is almost done. Tweeted out a oh, picture of good. it. that's good. Yeah. So complete yard makeover and got the sprinklers in and everything torn out, got new sprinklers in, got the undersod in and flattened and graded and leveled. 
and sod's coming Tuesday. <laughs> I've got That's some my good life, news. Man. I move yeah. on Tuesday, and I think some people knew that my deal fell through on my house, but I got a second. The first deal that I got offered was for five grand above my asking price. My town is a really hot market, but my house is kind of uh, needs some work, let's just say. And um, I got another offer at my asking price for uh, with no inspection. Oh, very nice, dude. Congrats. Yeah, so I am really very, very excited and uh, say a little prayer for me. Uh, I close uh, early, um, like November 13th. There's a contingency, but um, I'm I'm moving out. Uh, uh, I've I've actually had a place for two months, but I wanted to make sure I got my wife out first. Anyway, uh, enough about our personal <laughs> lives. Uh, we finished up a little early. That's going to do it for the great Mark Garcia. You can find him on Twitter at HiloFF. Read his weekly article every week. And guys, you know one way that you can really support us if you like the pod is, you know, or if you like the site, you know, JM, and, and we're going to get into this a little bit with JM, but Mark, Mark's course is very inexpensive. He put a lot of work into it. It'll make you a better player. Um, if you if you want to do something nice for me, uh, I don't have a course in the place, but um, definitely give uh, Mark's course. You can check out the free episodes and see if it's for you, and uh, learn to be a better game theory player. Mark, good luck this week, and hopefully we will see you at the top of the leaderboards. Thanks, brother. Likewise. We'll see you guys. All right. That's going to do it for that segment. Um, As I mentioned, uh, Lex, uh, unfortunately, had a little bit of a family thing he had to go take care of. So we're going to bring in the fearless leader a little early. JM to win. Are you there? I am, Todd. How are you, man? I'm doing good, brother. I'm doing good. Um, uh, are you a bachelor this week? Did I get that in uh, in chat? <laughs> I am. DoorDash and, and Postmates are my best friends this week. I haven't tried Postmates. In my area, when they first came out with all these apps, no restaurants basically did them. Uh, but um, uh, as I've been finalizing my divorce, I've been uh, – I've been doing a lot of that nonsense. Um, it's too expensive. <laughs> it's too expensive if you do it regularly. Yeah, but it takes some. It takes some time and thought off your place on a week like this. You know, oh. uh, get that food magically magically show up on your doorstep. I'll take it. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the last time you were on, we talked about some of the changing things that happened to your process in the football narrative. Uh, But what we're going to talk about today is a lot more site-specific stuff. You know, uh, uh, for those who are listening uh, still, and um, I didn't bore you in the first hour, um, what my goal is for this second hour, last year we took questions, and that was great. It was our first year. This year what I'm trying to do is give you all bonus content, and it's not always going to be things that will – be slate specific, although we'll always throw in a couple slate specific questions. But I, you know, the the mantra of this website, one week season, is to make you a better 
fantasy player. And part of that is by bringing in different guests. So next weekend, we're going to go outside of the site and bring in Mike Leone of Establish the Run. He is one of the better numbers guys in the the, uh, the hobby. Uh, in DFS, and we're going to be questioning him about his process. This week with JM, what I wanted to focus on was, you know, we call each other a family, and I want you guys to understand JM a little more. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the site side of things uh, before we talk some slate-specific things. So JM... You know, I, when I met you, you were with Roto Grinders, and you know, and then you were one of the the lead content guys. I know you had people reporting to you there. When did it come to you that you wanted to branch out, go on your own, and start your own site? The starting point was October of 2017. So. We launched one week season in 2018, and I talked about this in my master class a little bit for any of you who picked that up. But basically, Todd, as you know, my main focus is my writing, or I should say my long term focus is my writing. And so I'd written a novel that was published when I was 27, and um, but then got married and you know had a family and. So writing was still something that I was doing, but not something that I had nearly as much time for. And so I I had been freelance writing for years, which took a lot of energy out of my fiction writing, and then did the DFS grind at Roto Grinders for three years, 2014 to 2017. It was uh, helping to run premium over there, 2016, 2017. And I started thinking about, uh, I'd been thinking about my writing and realizing that the only way for me to write the way I wanted to again was to have more time. And at first my thought was, well, the way to have more time then is to write a really good novel that then buys me some more time. And I started thinking outside the box a little bit and realizing that if I started my own NFL site, uh, that would buy me a good five months out of the year that I could focus on writing and probably make me more money than I was making doing what I was doing before. And um, so it just kind of came together in that way and started working with Cubs fan on ideas and how we could develop this site and it's just sort of grown from there. So, yeah, that's kind of the genesis was uh, – came from just that standpoint of how can I buy myself more time to do what I love doing. Uh, and then kind of as a, as a bonus, I get to do something else that I love doing the other six, seven months of the year with NFL. So uh, it works out year-round for me. That's awesome. Uh, what was your original vision for the site, and how has it matured as time has gone on? I think one of the things that I don't want to say held us back in the early going, but there's, there's a lot of vision that has to go into something like this. And so until you're doing it, you don't necessarily see that. And then on top of that, I wasn't, you know, I think part of my brand is that I do all my own research and I'm not looking at what other people are doing and saying. And so because of that, I wasn't necessarily, the best person to decide everything that should be on a subscription site for people. And so as we kind of got underway, I started, we started finding more and more stuff, feedback from users and recognizing ways that we could continue to develop and grow the site. 
because originally my thought was just, okay, I'll write the NFL edge. I'll have the player grid and we'll probably have a podcast late in the week. And we kind of launched with just that thought in mind, which is part of the reason the price point was so low in the early going. And um, Silva still had his matchups column for free on Roto world. And so it was like, yeah, I mean, this, my game by game breakdown has always been more DFS specific, but it was like, okay, um, the main thing we're providing here is a, a game by game breakdown player grid and a podcast. Uh, let's make this reasonably priced. And then, added ownership projections the first year and then just kind of kept adding things since then. And I think that this is the first year people have said to me for years, I can't believe how little I'm paying for my subscription. This is the first year that I've felt that way, looking around at like, man, people get Hilo, people get Sonic, people get Xandamere Showdown Slant, people get all this awesome stuff that we're putting together and the GPP ceiling tool and now the, the labs partnership. Um, so yeah, it's been really cool to see how, you know, talking to the community and talking to other DFS players and then continuing to just think on my own about what I would want to see on a site has helped us really grow this, what I think is a really cool and unique site that's um, not just a, a good site, but it's a really good fit for our users, which is the coolest thing about it to me. Do you miss doing baseball? Not, not at all. hundred percent not. It's, it, that, is, that is the grind of grinds. That is the grind of grinds, and if I'm not mistaken, no, I guess you and I first met over uh, over football stuff, but we've had some, some good baseball. The, the second time um, I met you, though, uh, at Al Zeidenfeld's one uh, was baseball. Baseball, and we went to a Red Sox game, got to hang out together there. And, um, it's funny, baseball's I – and mean, I played DFS like three weekends of NFL in 2013, but the first time I really played DFS was 2014 MLB. And it actually started with the beat the streak contest that MLB runs every year, right? Where you try to beat Joe DiMaggio's hit streak by picking a player who will get a hit each day. And uh, I was doing that. It's free. I don't know if you've ever played that, but it's free. And I don't even know if they still run it, but um, it was like $5.6 million if you beat the streak. And so I started thinking, you know, I bet there's an advanced analytics way to look at this and pick players and started messing around with that, which, you know, through all that research kept bringing me across DFS stuff. And it was like, oh, let me, let me start firing some shots in here. Um, and so, yeah, MLB was where I got my start, but it is, it's just such a day. And, you know, I used to write a game by game breakdown, just like I do for NFL, but three or four days a week for MLB. So it's just a lot of work, a lot of content a lot of day in, day out. Um, I enjoyed it for a couple of years there, but I'm certainly not, not anxious to go back to it. So um, how old were if you? You don't have to answer this if you don't want, but you don't seem like the type that would mind. How old were you when you started doing DFS? How old are you now? And how, how much harder is it to do the grind as you get older and have a family? So let's see. This is 2020. That means that I am 35. So I guess I started when I was 29. And I, I've always been well equipped to not sleep much. Unfortunately, I seem to have passed that down to William. But I've always been well equipped to not sleep much and to go for long hours. Um, you know, I just wrapped up a I don't know, 20, 21 hour work day before I went to bed this morning. Um, 
And so I think it's something that I'm still capable of doing. As I've become more process-oriented, it's something that I desire to do less and less. Um, so I think that the, just the growth has come not necessarily from my body being like, you can't do this anymore, but, but my mind saying, okay, there's a better way to do this. What you talked to me about last summer too, Todd, you were like, you know, sometimes you work so hard that if you take a little step back, you can see that, you know, maybe you don't have to work quite as hard as you're working. And I did feel like it was, the, you know, coming out of the whole roto grinders thing, you, you know, uh, one thing that, you know, when I was younger, I was in a cult. So I, I've learned a lot about groupthink, right? And, and how easy it is to get caught up in groupthink. So with you, like, and the whole, uh, you know, DFS in the early days, that was, it was like a point of pride. Yeah, I worked 20 hours studying for this slate. So <clears throat> I did feel like I wanted to at least put that on your radar that, that, you know, as you get older, as, as someone who is older, I know I can't do what I did when I was younger. So I just wanted to put it on your radar uh, that, you know, about the whole thing of, you know, the grind, it, 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 it doesn't always, it, it's not something to glorify necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And so we still have this, uh, I, I really love July. July is like um, 100%. I mean, it's like really long work weeks, day in and day out, but it's like a lot of creativity because we're coming up with everything new that's going to be on the site and having a lot of meetings and a lot of brainstorming on that. Um, August is August is like production month, which is the toughest month for me of the year because it's it's, you know, unavoidable 100-hour work weeks that are actual work, not, not sitting around and creatively brainstorming what we're going to do, but actually implementing all of it. And then September is we get into NFL, but there's this overlap still where a lot of the August stuff comes in. And so, um, yeah, it's something that, you know, back in the day would have just been like, oh, well, this is the way that things work and this is the way I do things. Now I've gotten so much more process-oriented where I like to know what my Monday looks like at, you know, 11 a.m. every week. I like to know what my Wednesday looks like at 4 p.m. every week. And so these couple months, really August and September, jolt me out of that a little bit. And then October is the point where I get to start settling back in. So the goal is that each year, August and September are, are a little less crazy for me, you know, year after year. And uh, obviously, as, as we grow more and more, there's more that I can comfortably put on other people's plates, both uh, financially and in terms of letting go of some of the things that I'm needing to, to run on the site at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's that, that part of the grind was a surprise to me and uh, totally worth it when we're kind of outside of these couple months and we're able to see what we're building. But uh, August and September, I, I need some life support from time to time. Yep. And, and that makes sense. Um you know, and you're starting to do something that I find a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, being a sales rep for 30 years, I worked with a lot of startups. I worked with a lot of very smart people who had a, a great idea or were good at one thing. And a, a lot of times those people, that personality type comes with a certain energy and a certain kind of mindset. And it's very hard for them to delegate. 
because they always feel like no one else can do things as well as they could do it. Um, and it, uh, it, it's, it's what I used to call, you know, when it, you know, it's like you, you sit, you, you get up into a crouch and then you walk. Right. And that getting up into a crouch is where a lot of companies fail uh, because to, to be able to walk, you need to kind of disengage the originator, the, the entrepreneur from certain tasks that, and, and he needs to let that other, those other people actually delegate. So it's interesting that you mentioned that because that was my next question. You brought Aaron on board this year. I know you're really happy with that so far. Explain to people uh, what that's about and, and, and how it's helped you. Yeah, you're speaking my language with the uh, sitting to crouching to walking. It is difficult because when I guess it's like, think of, you know, and I think that unless you're writing something like the NFL Edge or Silva's matchups or, or Lex's matchups, you don't recognize necessarily quite how much work goes into it. And, um, and so, you know, from that standpoint, I've obviously I've been doing this a long time. I've gotten used to working fast with everything that I do in order to accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished. And so efficiency and, and all that is at a premium. And so when you first start delegating things to other people, it might be something that you've built a process that takes you five or 10 minutes to do something. And it's going to take you an hour and a half to train somebody else in doing it. And then their first few times, it's going to take them 45 minutes to do it. And so you feel like you're losing a lot of time. And one thing I've had to learn is that that, that lost time is gained back later because not only just the actual physical time, but the mental energy that's freed up by not having, um, you know, 10, 12, 15 little things that you have to do 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there, throughout the week. And so that's one of the cool things. Uh, so Aaron's been in the middle of a move this week. So I've been posting a lot of the, the content that he's going to be posting the rest of the year. And just that extra shift over and thinking constantly of coming back to uh, do those admin type things, it, it really does create uh, energy drain and, and mental leaks on my end. And so, yeah, it's been cool having Aaron on board and seeing how, um, you know, and obviously each year there's more and more of that. In year one, Armando was helping with the emails and with Twitter, and last year Dustin helped out a lot. And um, But now we kind of have Aaron running the show, so to speak, and that's helped out a ton. Um, and, yeah, it's, you know, long-term, long-term the goal is, like, like you said, for me to be able to – I'm good at some of the things that I have to do on the site. I'm good at building stuff on the site, so on and so forth, but – where I'm most valuable to the site is not there. And so the goal is to keep moving me more and more into the areas where I'm most valuable to the site and to subscribers. And I think that that's the big thing is if we can minimize my energy leaks in other areas, then I can pour that energy into things that more directly benefit subscribers. So that's what we're always looking for is how can we keep developing the site with with Aaron kind of doing a lot of the creative brainstorming that I would be doing if I had more time. And uh, for me to then use that time and energy, you know, pouring into things that directly help subscribers. So long-term that's obviously kind of what we're looking to, to keep growing here. 
One thing I want to go back to a little bit and, and give another plug to, um, you know, I, I get nothing for that, for, for what I'm about to say. But, you know, JM has put together a site and he gave all of us. I mean, I'm on the $29 deal myself. And, you know, one way that everyone can really support the site, if you think you're getting a great value, is to buy these marketplace courses not only does it help out JM, it helps out the actual content contributor as well and, um, and encourages them to do more. So, um, you know, I'm not a hard sell guy, even though I was in sales for 30 years, but I'm asking you guys, if you feel moved, um, just remember that doing that really helps out JM, it helps out the site, and it makes you a better uh, fantasy player as well. Uh, because what we focus on here is making you better. This segment might not make you a better DFS player, but it makes you feel a, a bigger part of what we're doing here. And that's something I don't think that other sites are giving you. So I'm going to move on, JM, to uh, a, a something a little different here. Uh, let's talk about your article uh, you made some pretty big changes it, to it this year. So as your process changed, the edge has changed as well. Uh, why don't you cover that a little bit? Yeah, one of the one of the goals I had when I first started at Roto Grinders was I wanted to, to. I guess two of my goals. One was kind of a, I told them, and one was more internal, but. Um, I told them I wanted to write what I called a destination article, which what I meant by that was an article that people knew what day of the week it came out and they looked forward to it and they kind of, you know, planned their week around coming to see that. So that was the original article that I would write with the story at the, at the start and then breaking down some players that I liked. Uh, but the other thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to make myself what I called irreplaceable and, what I meant by that was I wanted to write an article that only – or write articles, write content that only I could write. And I had noticed that uh, Notorious did an awesome job with the grind down, and that was kind of how he built his name in the DFS industry. But on weekends, other people filled in on the grind down. And so, yeah, you wanted Notorious to be the one writing it, but if he wasn't, you were still getting the grind down and that's great from a business model standpoint, but from my standpoint as a content provider, I wanted to be, I wanted to write something that if I weren't writing it, somebody else couldn't just step in and write it. So with the NFL edge in the early going, part of that was, you know, there's obviously the unique aspect of, of how I approach games, but I also wanted each game to be its own sort of creative endeavor in terms of, where I started my research on the game and how I presented all of that research. And that was great. But over time, uh, two things, one that reaches a smaller audience because we as humans, we like that pattern and process. We like to know what we're coming for week in and week out. So if you get used to coming, you know, if this is your first year with the NFL edge and you get used to every week knowing, okay, things are going to be broken down in these categories in these ways that that's that reaches a broader audience and it's more valuable to users even if it's maybe a little bit less enjoyable for the users who are like oh i want a unique experience every game but then also just the energy drain on my part of writing up when i especially when i was doing full weekends so 16 games and um 
starting from scratch every game and that decision fatigue of, you know, figuring out exactly where to start each game, where to start my research each game. And so I, over the last couple of years, I've tried to develop that to be much more process oriented. And now long-term, you know, as I've thought about things more and more, it's like, honestly, my greatest value to subscribers long-term might not even be writing the NFL edge so much as doing the DFS interpretation stuff. And then, uh, doing my later week content because there I'm not the only person who can break down a game. Hilo, if we wanted Hilo could step in and write the NFL edge and do it just as well as me, or maybe even better. And so, you know, when I was trying to write it as something that only I could write, I wasn't setting myself up or readers up to kind of maximize all of our energy. So it might've created a more enjoyable read by read experience in terms of, you know, the people who wanted something totally new in each different game. But uh, all of us now kind of, it's like, it doesn't, we're getting more information with less energy leak from both the provider standpoint and the reader standpoint. Um, and I think that, that helps everybody in the long run. So yeah, this year it was, it's been a process, but it's always just looking for ways to um, maximize the value that we're providing. And, um, and then another thing too, and Todd, you and I talked about this last year, but um, I, had a, I had a hard time for a little while getting a grasp of why people were coming to my content. And you and I had a conversation about this last year, and Cubs fan and I had a conversation about this last year, that um, you were both kind of like, you know, look, anybody can do a lot of research. Um, it's great that you have the time to do a lot of research. It's great that you put it all together. But th that's not that's not what makes me unique, you know, the fact that I can do all this research. What, what makes me unique is the fact that I can process this research into understanding how the game is likeliest to play out. And so we've, you know, we've been able to bring in Lex's matchups to hit like the really deep dive on the matchup statistics while, and, while then also being able to use the NFL edge to focus more on really what helps us make more money, which is, the game environment elements and, um, you know, kind of play to my strengths there while being able to like double up the amount of information we're giving to users. And it's been really cool to see that come together this year. Yeah. And that was kind of what I was uh, aiming towards with the last question, you know, in the first pod we did um, that, that discussed your process. Uh, we, we, it, we talked a lot about how it changed because what you were originally were, were doing wasn't as successful and DFS has changed, as we talked about. If you haven't heard that podcast, you should go back. Uh, I think it was after week two, and uh, but it might have been week three. And and JM and I talked, and he gets into that. And I think it's really worthwhile to everyone listening, if you haven't heard it, to go and do that. Uh, but what I've noticed, JM, is where it used to be build – this lineup that's just so chock full of floor and ceiling that it can compete even without game influence, so to speak. Uh, and now the edge is more in interpreting ways that, not that it didn't matter before, but your process has changed as it, it, to more of a game flow perspective. You build your lineups that way. Um, your overall build has changed and the edge now fits that narrative. So that, that's more what I wanted you to kind of hit on. 
how the edge has kind of changed to fit your newer process. Yeah. And I was actually thinking yesterday I was working through a roster and I was like, Oh man, I could have entered this three or four years ago and taken down first place. Cause it was a roster that I was kind of in its. So let's say I, I'm not sure yet if I'll play that 4k millimaker this week, but you know, when you start building, and and you typically play in that bankroll, you're eyeing a contest like that because it's only 631 entries. So I don't want to fire one, two, three bullets in there if I feel like I'm just doing it to fire bullets in there. But if I get closer to, you know, two, three in the morning, deeper into my builds and I'm feeling really confident, that's a place where you say, oh, well, you know, a one in 631 shot, a two in 631 shot, let's, let's fire some bullets in there. Um, and so I was looking at a roster that I had built and it was like, man, three or four years ago, this might've been a roster that could win that tournament because it's a roster that you break it down and you're like, yeah, there are a lot of clear paths to me getting to 185, 190 points on this roster. And now you can't put that roster in and win that tournament. And I, I look at it kind of like something I've talked about uh, on in different places on the site, but that rocket ship mentality, that Elon Musk mentality of, not looking at competition to try to determine your ceiling, but instead just trying to get better each, each day or Tom Brady's talked about the same thing, right? If you, if you're looking at a different quarterback and saying, I want to get better than them, you're actually placing artificial limits on your ceiling because maybe you could be the standard if you just keep working day in and day out. And I think that what happened years ago in DFS was the, the score required to win a tournament was typically that 185 to 190, sometimes 195 range uh, in these bankroll building tournaments. And so we were all kind of targeting that score. Um, We were looking at that as the ceiling we were targeting. And once people started breaking out of that and started targeting, Cubspan was really strong on this in the early going. And it's still the early going. I mean, this is our biggest edge in DFS right now. Most players still don't think like this. But once people started thinking around – game environments and actually capturing all the points from those shootouts. It started, it started when um, sort of there were those accidental millimaker wins with the Steelers, you know, and people would use three or four Steelers players, which people just didn't do back then. And then all of a sudden you start doing the math and realizing, Oh, well you can actually be targeting 220, 225, 240 points by building in this different way. And so um, as as that became the way that a small percentage of small field tournament players were building, that became the new mark you had to hit for first place. And so, um, so yeah, it's been like an adjustment in play adjustment in content to say, uh, instead of just providing a bunch of stats around an individual player's matchup, right? Because we used to get so deep into this wide receiver versus this cornerback type of stuff and you realize that you're still targeting these, you're trying to find these players who can get you 14 points, 16 points, 17 points. And instead of saying who can win me a tournament and what, what game environment is going to create tournament winners. Uh, so yeah, DFS changed. And in order for our subscribers to not fall behind, content had to change as well. And, and um, so, yeah, and I feel like the, the balance we've been able to hit. It's been so cool to see Lex's stuff in the NFL edge. Cause you talked about reading those bullet points first and then reading the edge right up. And that's the same way that I'm doing my NFL edge reading and study right now is I read Lex's stuff 
then I read what I wrote and then I read the collective. Um, and it, like, it gives you, it gives us such a well-rounded sense of a game of the slate while still preparing us for the way we actually need to be building in order to win tournaments these days. So uh, I'm going to come go over something for the people. So I think there's a couple different ways that you can read the NFL edge. Um, on weeks when I don't have a lot of time, like this week, I can read Moralia's matchups. And then uh, JM has added a game overview. That gives you a couple bullet points. And then you could skip over how each team is going to win and the likeliest game flows and the tributaries and go right to the DFS section, right? And that will give you a baseline of information. It's not the ultimate idea, but if you're limited on time, that will get you the baseline that you need. The other thing that the edge is different this year is there are sections for how each team will try and win. And I think the reason you did that, uh, Jordan, was that you want people to start thinking that way. In other words, and, and, and by breaking it out a little bit separately, it puts more focus on it. Is that correct? Yeah. And, uh, b- and from both, from both standpoints. So I've been so, I was so dogmatic in the early years about, because obviously it is best to read the entire NFL edge, but recognizing that not everybody has that kind of time. And so for, from one angle, it's, you have that, even if you don't show up to the site until Saturday and you read the, the player grid and you listen to the angles podcast, maybe while you read it, you can then from there say, okay, I want to dive a little bit deeper into this game, this game, this team, this team, you know, and you can go and you know exactly where to look to see, okay, I'm interested in Minnesota's offense and this game environment. Let me go read the Minnesota write-up and then the DFS interpretation. And, and, you know, that makes it so much easier for people who don't have eight or nine or 10 hours to kind of pour over everything. And, uh, and then, yeah, it's just so important from a building perspective to actually think about how these points are going to be scored. As we've been saying the last couple of years, uh, fantasy points are not scored outside of a game environment. There is, there's going to be an NFL game inside of which points are being scored. And, you know, sometimes you capture a really good score but when you go watch the game, you recognize there was a couple of broken plays that just unpredictable things happen. And so if we can get to that point where we're saying, all right, what can we can control? What do we know about how these teams are trying to attack? What do we know about how these teams are using their players? And then there's that next layer of thinking where if you're somebody like Cubs fan on Sunday morning, you're saying, okay, so the Vikings, this was this last week, you know, the Vikings are going to score a lot of points. Everybody's thinking about Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen, who else on this offense could benefit from the way that the Vikings are going to be playing from the points that are expected to be scored? Because if you start thinking about the game environment can get you off of that strict player thinking and can lead you toward those types of plays like Justin Jefferson that can actually win you a tournament that aren't going to pop up in the research, but you're looking at the game environment and saying, yeah, but the Vikings could score 28 to 31 points here against the Titans and what if those don't all come through Thielen and Cook? How do we get those points? And there's just so much value to that game-level thinking in terms of building your DFS rosters, 
maximizing your profitability, making plus EV decisions. And so to be able to provide that, that or guide that viewpoint for readers is, is really valuable, I think. Yep. And I also want to say that the tributary section is very, very interesting. In other words, the chalk is going to be based off of the most likeliest scenario most of the time. But if you like a game and you think a game has a high total, um, a, a good way to find contrarian plays is to look at the tributaries in the ways, other ways that the game can go uh, and it can lead you to some nice things. So I like the way the NFL edge has been laid out this year, JM. Any, any last thoughts on that? No, uh, I think that this is hopefully going to be kind of the, the angle we stick with moving forward. And um, we don't know what, what's going to happen long-term, but you know, it wouldn't be surprising to me if in, a year or two years, we have somebody else writing two or three of the lower total games in the NFL edge and freeing me up to think more about uh, game environments and other spots and uh, player grid level stuff. And I think that that's going to be one of the really cool things too, is that with this more structured approach, uh, it creates a lot more flexibility. And um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see what comes of all of this every year is a, a new year, but I really like the – I'm really happy with 2020 so far, not in terms of the scope of the entire year, but in terms of uh, OWS and where we're at and what we're building and um, how it's all coming together. It's just been really cool to see all of this come together over the years. Yeah, and we kind of ran out of time to go over the uh, collective notes, and maybe the next time we can go into that deeper, but it's kind of like a farm system. Right. If you guys want to be more involved, if you think you could be me and you probably could, um, or if you think, you know, Lex was just a guy who was kicking ass on the collective notes uh, this year, Triton, uh, Tritone Music is doing a fabulous job. There's other people, um, you know, Tenacious D. There you uh, go. Tenacious D is spelled tin eight shud. Uh, I remembered I couldn't couldn't say his name last week on the chat pod and remember he explained to me last year uh, on Twitter how to say it but yeah uh, like you said Lex was just Lex was just in collective last year and um, you know it might not be it might not be with us but we have you know most most DFS players uh, most like content providers subscribe to OWS you know CSU Rams in their reading the NFL edge. And, and so I think that that's important for people in collective to recognize is maybe you'll stand out and be doing something for OWS down the road, or maybe you won't, you know, maybe you'll stand out to somebody from another site and, and they come in and start asking about providing content for them. And I think that's one of the really cool things about OWS collective is we're able to provide great research for the community Um, through that research, we're going to be able to give you guys edge points where you can pick up courses you can pay for your subscription. Uh, but then also, you know, there's a chance for this to grow into something bigger, either through OWS or through another site that's seeing your work. And I think that's just a really cool thing that we're developing with collective. I agree. And one thing I am definitely going to do one week this year, probably when we get into the double digit weeks is um, in the nine o'clock hour, take two or three guys from the collective, bring them on the podcast for the nine o'clock hour. So start thinking guys, if you're, if you're doing the work, 
and you'd like to come on the pod, uh, you know, at some point, let me know somehow um, and uh, I will make note of it. But um, that's one thing that JM and I really have in common and why we hit it off in the beginning. We're, we're, we, we want people to do good. Um, JM, I think we would be remiss if we didn't at least touch on the slate a little bit before I let you go. And we do have one or two questions from chat. Um, the biggest news, obviously, is the two games that are missing. How do you see that changing this week? I, uh, I had um, my original starting point. I was looking at about 12 rosters uh, as far as building around 12 rosters. And my starting point before I went to bed this morning was that the route from which I was building was going to be 12 out of 12. Camaro rosters and nine out of 12 Clyde Edwards Hilaire rosters. So that obviously changes. Uh, my <laughs> he was in my main there. lineup too. I feel yeah, your pain. So, um, so yeah, that was one of the plays I was really excited about. And I'd actually started getting on Sammy Watkins in that, in that low range of wide receivers as a guy getting eight and nine targets in two of his last three games or short area targets, but eight and nine targets attached to that chiefs offense. Uh, against the Patriots defense, it would probably look to take away downfield passing and Travis Kelsey. So, yeah, the, the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Sammy Watkins pairing at 10.8K was really interesting to me. Uh, yeah, I don't – I you know, it cuts down the slate. Honestly, I had about eight quarterbacks that I that I was still messing around with, and Mahomes and Cam were two of them. So that, that chops down my list a little bit. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting – man, it'll be interesting to see what the – rest of the season looks like I'm surprised that the NFL didn't build in extra bye weeks to kind of account for the uncertainty, but it's not as if they don't have flexibility deeper into the season to push the Super Bowl back two or three weeks, push the playoffs back two or three weeks. Um, it'll be interesting on my end because we're due for a baby on January 19th, but uh, we'll make it all work. Hopefully the NFL will make it all work. Uh, but yeah, this week, you know, it's, it, there's still a lot to like. It just cuts one of one of those games out that we were targeting and gives us one last one less spot to worry about, I think. Yeah, I think you're gonna have a little girl to go with William. We are. We uh, did I did I not tell you we found out the gender. We're having a little girl. Oh, I, I just got a strong sense that you were having a girl. <laughs> we're having a uh, little baby Evelyn. Oh, Evelyn. Okay. William and Evelyn. <laughs> Evelyn and William. Nope. There you go. That's awesome. All right. So let's, uh, let, let me ask a couple more questions, one or two more, and then we'll just do a bonus round real quick with the, the listeners um, questions. And um, so what's the, yeah, I asked you this last time, what's the game that is flying under the radar that you think has the best chance to blow up? You know, I was saying on on the contributor channel on Discord, right, when you were getting the the pod started, like three minutes before you guys were kicking off, um, I feel like this Hawks-Seahawks-Dolphins game is obviously a really strong game. But sometimes when there's a game like that that just seems really obvious, it clouds our ability to see – other games. And so, for example, I mean, if we just look at what Vegas is saying, well, especially if I might jump in for a sec, especially after two weeks in a row where the premier high scoring game 
exceeded expectations. Yeah, and the Seahawks were part of it. You know, both or I guess they, I guess week two they were not part of it, but the it was all that overlap. You know, the Cowboys and the Falcons and Seahawks and Falcons and Cowboys and Seahawks playing and. Now we have the Seahawks. You know, it's been all kind of these games have been mixed in with these teams. Um, but if we, if we look at Vegas, right, Vegas has the Seahawks at, let's round and say, 30 points. And they have the Saints at 28 and a half. Vegas has the Dolphins at 24 points and the Lions at 25 and a half. And so I'm, I'm kind of trying to look for these spots where – and I think that um, – I don't, I don't know that the ownership on this Seattle – uh, Miami game is going to be like Cowboys Seahawks level, but it's going to be pretty high for a game where everybody's relying on Ryan Fitzpatrick. And so I am looking for places where I can say, you know, what I said in the contributor channel was that it's not that there's any reason by the research to think this is a bad spot, but just when things are so clear, when they seem so clear and straightforward, it can cloud our ability to see other games around that spot. And what I said in, in that channel was like, I could see Stafford to Galladay way outperforming Fitzpatrick to Parker and that Saints and Lions game being a, a, a much bigger piece on the slate than Seahawks and Dolphins. And after the fact, all of us being like, oh, well, duh. You know, and so I'm trying to look for the games like that and not allow my thinking to get too clouded. Um, the the Texans twenty eight and a half same as the Saints, uh, Vikings twenty five a half point lower than the Lions and so yeah I think if there's a couple games on this slate I'm obviously going to have Seattle and Miami exposure and still don't know if I'm going to run out twelve teams thirteen fourteen teams or just three teams but um, I'm definitely eyeing a couple of these other games and I think that Vikings Texans and Lions Saints are the two that you know who knows which games are going to blow up. We've got, we've got bills and Raiders with an over under of, of 53. A lot of these games have high totals, but uh, pick a couple. And, and I think that Vikings Texans and then uh, lion saints are the two that I'm probably likeliest to isolate and hope that those are the ones that blow up. Yeah. And I'll throw out the Jaguars and the Bengals. Um, if the tributary on that game comes through and it's not a James Robinson game, you know, and we we saw the worst of Gardner Minshew last week, right? But DJ Shark wasn't there. He's coming back this week. Um, I, you know, like I said uh, to Mark uh, Garcia during our segment, there's a, definitely a less than zero chance that you know the the Seahawks just beat up on the Dolphins and they go back in, into their shell because that's their nature, right? They don't need to let Russ cook if they're up by three touchdowns. Um, I think that if the Bengals at home get out to a, uh, to a lead and Gardner Minshew opens it up, he's going to have literally no ownership. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not saying put a lot of money into it, but I, I, I like that game a decent bit more than I think most people will. Yeah. And I think that we, people get so influenced by what happens recently. It's like last week before that Dolphins Jaguars game, Cubs fan came on the uh, contributor channel and basically asked, why is everybody on the Jaguars? Um, He said, you know, couldn't the Dolphins just absolutely dominate this game? Why does everybody think that 
the Jaguars are the better team here or that are, they're an equal team to the Dolphins. And, you know, that week one win against the Colts was still hanging in everybody's head. They played the Titans close in week two, or I should say the final score was close. Um, and the Dolphins had gotten beat up by the Patriots in week one, but, you know, one week doesn't make a season. Two weeks don't make a season. And so, uh, again, you know, now Minshew has a bad game and everybody jumps off. But, yeah, it, it, these are the types of spots that we want to be looking for and not be overly influenced by, especially in tournaments, not be overly influenced by what happened a week or two ago, but still take into account what we're looking at in the big picture. All right, let's do a few quick bonus round questions. Mark Burns asks, will Mike Evans move into the slot and have a better matchup? If I recall the last game Godwin missed, he moved to the slot. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, we will see more two tight end sets, so we won't see as many slot reps. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, the thing for me with Mike Evans is I'm going to wait until his price comes down in, in tough matchups, uh, because the Chargers are still a tough matchup from a, a macro standpoint, from a game environment standpoint. Um, so for me, I'm waiting until people jump off of the, Mike Evans trained because I don't think his volume and role in this offense are, are what they've been. But if you're looking to, I don't know what his ownership is. I'm guessing it's higher than it should be against the chargers. But um, if, if you're looking to find an angle for some upside, Mike Evans certainly has upside and, and you'd want to go overweight, whatever the field's ownership is on that. Um, so that's not to say that Mike Evans can't hit for a big game, but yeah, it's just, you know, I don't want to get too fine with something like, maybe he gets a couple extra targets because he moves into the slot. If I still don't expect this to be a game that will have an opportunity for a lot of big plays and a lot of points to be scored, because then you're hoping Mike Evans gets to 18, 19, 20 points instead of trying to find that guy who can get you 32, 34, 35. And, um, so yeah, that's kind of my, I, I guess, bigger answer on the Mike Evans thing is um, regardless of where he's playing, I don't see him as a guy who has a high shot at, uh, 30 plus points this week. What about Gronk? I, I, I brought this up with Mark and, you know, uh, he was out for a year and talking about how, what people now think about players. Uh, and he mostly blocked the first two weeks, but he got seven targets last week. We know him and Brady have a great connection. He's $3,600, which is a great pivot off of Logan Thomas. Um, it, you know, I've, I, I've, I've, picked a few too thin plays lately, but the more I think about it, the more I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 you know, well, let me just ask, what are your thoughts on Gronk? What were Mark's thoughts? Uh, he didn't hate it once I mentioned it. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, Mark's a lot like me in this, if you're too sharp sometimes, you know, then these off the wall plays can just seem like plays you got to write off right away. But yeah, I, I honestly, you know, I was almost on Gronk last week and it was to such a point with the way his role was being talked about that had Gronk missed last week, had I played him and he'd gotten another two target game, uh, that's where you feel like, man, what a fish move that was. But yeah, like the roots of the thinking, everything that you said is, you know, I was there last week as well, because the the narrative is that he's blocking a ton, which he is, but he's still running a ton of pass routes as well. Um, and so, you know, 
he's out there basically he's like almost a hundred percent player. And so I think that the big thing holding him back and I haven't watched closely to see how much he looks like Gronk, but outside of that, the biggest thing holding him back is just that this offense doesn't heavily target tight ends. And, um, but it's a matchup against a chargers defense. that's excellent against wide receivers. And uh, you know, we've got a banged up pass catching core for, Tampa, I could totally see Gronk getting another five to seven targets again. I think the thing is, if he gets two targets, it'll feel like a bad process play. But the truth is, we just need to put him into the bucket of plays on whom we don't have enough information yet. You know, we don't know if he's going to become a consistent six, seven target guy. And so there is guesswork. But I think that in tournaments, especially if, if you have Gronk on a roster that's otherwise you know, you feel pretty good about. We're getting so many duds at tight end. I was I was actually flipping through I was flipping through week three tournament winning rosters last night, flipping through the top of the Wildcat leaderboards, and I think it was whoever finished second place had Jimmy Graham last week at, you know, sub sub half percent ownership in his two touchdown game. And it's that thinking of if we're getting so little production out of the chalky tight ends that you you'd hate to pivot off Logan Thomas and this is the week where he goes for 16, 17 points. But that's really, unless there's a broken play, that's Thomas's ceiling. He's getting a ton of slot reps. He's getting tons of pass work, but he's still, you know, average target's going to be eight yards downfield. There's going to be some incompletions. And so if you get five catches, you're still getting about 40, 50 yards from Logan Thomas. He scores a touchdown, you get 16. Great. But, you know, he's probably not killing you even if you pivot. And if you can pivot and say, well, everybody else is getting six, seven, eight points every week at tight end by taking the same guys as each other, let me pivot over to Gronk. Let me pivot over to Jimmy Graham. Let me see if I can get a two-touchdown game that actually separates me from the field. He puts up 30 points, and you've got him in you know, 20 25% of your lineups. He, he, he's projected for 3%, and I'm not sure he'll even get there. Um, all right, yeah. let me, and if he, let me if he misses, the hope is that Logan Thomas also misses and you don't fall that far behind or, or, or that he misses, but he gets two catches for 35 yards and, you know, yeah. it, 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 you know, Thomas gets 15, Gronk gets seven and it's not the end of the world. Um, we do exactly. have other questions and I do have to get to pick up my daughter. She's out. Um, I'm going to go with, um, uh, let's just do yes or no's. How's that? So th- that we get to All these right. guys. All right. Um, would Hopkins out make you more likely to play Drake? Yes. Yes or no? But I still probably, I, I won't be heavy on him, but yes, it would make me more likely. Okay. For sure. Yeah, that's a good answer. All right. Uh, any love for a uh, Ram stack and bringing it back with Waller? Uh, no, but, but yes, uh, no, as in not for me, because, um, I don't play high priced Rams receivers and haven't for a couple of years. Um, we have it in our heads that they put up these huge scores, but it's very rare that we get a 30 point score from these guys, which is what you need at their price tags. But I, I love the Rams offense. And I think that the thinking there is sharp. I think it can certainly work. It's just not for me. Uh, Taylor, um, Give me uh, like, love, 
dislike, um, complete fade. Give me a, a quick saying on Taylor. Tepid. <laughs> tepid. I like um, tepid. Yeah. Um, if, all um, right. If if somebody if you really like Taylor, play Taylor. He's not a guy, you know, snap rate and and game environment who I'm on. But um, but I think if you like Taylor, play Taylor. I um, someone asked anyone considering running Fitzmagic naked. I had Fitzmagic naked right up until about an hour ago, where I um, I put Parker into my main lineup. So uh, the answer to that one is yes. Um, let's see. Any other questions? We've, we've kind of broken up into just, uh, talk. All right. I think that's going to do it, uh, for the day. And, uh, look, we all appreciate you guys. You're welcome. Um, JM, thanks for coming on again. I had a blast and, uh, Absolutely. absolutely, man. Always fun to do this. All right. That's going to do it for this week's Run to Daylight podcast. If you have any ideas on how we can make the pod better, any guests you'd like to see me go get for a week when JM uh, can't do it, let me know. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Run to Daylight podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.